Hey, this is Adin the Artist, and you're listening to The Barns. Me and Judas down on 6th and Lowry Outside a cafe when the moonlight fell It cast itself down, pouring out on a city What a pity when something so beautiful wastes itself I took a pull from my wood pipe as the taxi cabs drove by Full of college age women in drag Yeah, they're all wearing costumes and they all look like children And they're blowing us kisses as they pass I wondered what in the hell in this world could compel Any creature to smile on a pair like we were He had short, neat curls that were shadow black And I was fumbling around with the weather app Wondering if he could ever love me back Sometimes these things are hit or miss With the perfume trails Hi and welcome to The Barn, live from The Barn studio You got the mocks here and I'm joined with a special guest online Getting ready to head out and hit the road We have Adeem the Artist I uh, couldn't be much better, my friend. We are really excited. You are playing Cape Girardeau, Missouri, small small town America, for the Cape G Rocks concert series at the Historic Porch Sessions at the Glen House on Wednesday, July 12th. We're excited to have you in town. I can't wait to come visit. It's going to be such an interesting show, and I'm guessing you haven't played Cape Girardeau before. I have never played Cape Girardeau before. That is true. And we want to shout out Sean Wood and Christy Mershon and your manager as well for uh, for linking us up together. We are big fans and we're excited to have you on the barn today. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to come see the town and hang out. I uh, introduced you as Adeem the Artist, but should it be Adeem the Opryist? <laughs> is, is that the new name? I think we're over that now. We already did it. It's time to move on. Now we're Dean the Gerardo. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I do want to say congratulations <laughs> being the first non-binary singer to perform at the Grand Ole Opry. Tell us about that experience. Oh, it was lovely. Um, it's not something I ever thought I'd get the chance to do for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, the first being I'm just a dumb hick from uh, rural North Carolina that uh, never really tried to get very good at guitar. <laughs> Um, and, uh, two, you know, I came out as non-binary a couple of years ago and made a record called cast iron pansexual. That's largely about gender identity and sexuality. And, you know, in many ways, I mean, to be honest, I just thought that kind of disqualified me from this whole, from this whole world of music. So I don't know, to get to go there was cool. Everybody was really, really generous and really kind. I got to see a lot of cool folks and a lot of cool cowboy outfits meandering those halls and using their whole names to introduce themselves uh it was a uh, it was fun it was a, it was a, it was a cool adventure i don't know if they'll have me back or not but the band was i mean phenomenal it was like we got there to do a to do a rehearsal and the rehearsal was just running the songs once each and they had every every uh little nuance of the song down already those guys are you know that the opry uh, hires a band of like all studio session players who just like you know, national school of greats. And so a lot of these guys settle down and just uh, kind of work in that band. So it's, it's, it's all legends you get to play with and they're, they're all in the pocket. And nobody was uh, curmudgeonly or anything. There were no negative comments. Last time I played the Ryman, I got kind of heckled pretty bad. 
So I expected that we might see some of that, but everybody was really cool and really kind and supportive. It was a, it was a, only a positive experience. And I think I read initially you had some reservations about playing it. What changed your mind? And uh, it sounds like it was a positive experience for you. So I'm maybe you're glad you did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know why I had reservations, right? I mean, <laughs> sure, sure. When they first asked me, I'll tell you the truth of it. I thought, okay, they're going to bring out Jason Aldean and Morgan Wallen and they're going to whip my ass, you know? <laughs> you thought you were the butt end of a joke or something? <laughs> yeah, or- yeah, here we go. We're finally going to take care of this Aldean the Artist problem. And they reached out and invited us to come and play some songs and get a tour of the Grand Ole Opry. And I was like, well, I'm not going to say no to that, you know? That sounds nice. And we did. We went and played some songs for them. And uh, they were really kind about it, you know? Uh, their their compliments and remarks on the songwriting gave me the inclination that they were interested in me because of the craft and not because of it is cool for gender divergent people of all stripes to have a non-binary person play the Grand Ole Opry. And so I don't want to diminish that at all. But at the same time, I just I just don't really have interest in being the first non-binary person to do any old thing. I, you know what I mean? It's it, I would rather get hired in 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 spite of my gender than because of it you know what i mean there's something about you know there's some affirmative action is a good thing so i'm not disparaging that but it is a tough thing when, when you see uh you know people get opportunities that maybe they're not ready for because of their their uh marginalization markers as a way of setting right the fact that people who were way more than ready never got that opportunity you know what i mean sure and so I, I don't want to be the, 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 the former. I, I want to be, I want to be somebody who shows up with all the work and all the talent that I, that I can image. And so I think for me, it was important that I not be one of their uh, markers on pride month that they had a queer artist, you know, and, uh, and, and, and they convinced me that they cared about the craft more. That's a lot of rambling to say that, but um, yeah, I mean, there's like a, have you ever been to the Grand Ole Opry? I have and I haven't. I haven't been to the actual show. I've been to the Ryman several times, but not the actual Grand Ole Opry show. Okay. So at the at the Grand Ole Opry, the new location over there, they've got like a, a video that you watch when you take the tour. And there's like a holographic uh, Garth Brooks who introduces you to the history of the Grand Ole Opry and its importance. So I watched that video and, you know, it's like goddamn... Uh, korean uh (laughs) you know propaganda levels of propaganda um and uh by the time i was done watching that video i was like well this i have to do this i need it you know another thing is i've criticized them pretty heavily on twitter in the past so you know they were showing me like how they had the first black person you know during a time where there weren't a lot of integrated shows and stuff like that and so it kind of felt a little like maybe they were trying to give me a little nut tap to say hey Back off, back off on Twitter, bozo. <laughs> so when I left that meeting, I, I wasn't sure what the purpose of it was. I thought maybe they just were trying to do a little PR, and it worked. I, I felt I felt a lot better about um, the organization after that. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Walking into the circle is a really cool thing. It was a, it was a cool thing to get to do. I bet so. Do you ever get tired of telling your story or do you believe it's, you know, maybe sort of the responsibility of the artist to be the voice for people, culture, people that are unheard? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't get tired of telling my story um, because that's all I have, right? I'm a storyteller. And I believe that historically, stories have the power to to really affect people in huge ways. 
I have to come at it from two angles because I exist at kind of the intersection of, of marginalization and privilege, you know, and that's a tough thing. That's, I don't always know how to hold that. I am a, I'm a poor white kid from, from, from rural North Carolina. I'm also somebody that, you know, for better or worse was granted 30 some odd years of white cis male privilege, you know, uh, a, a past is straight. People assumed I was straight. People that I came out to even acted shocked when I released my cast iron fan sexual record. Like I'd never came out because having a wife must mean I'm straight now. You know, it's a weird thing to hold to to be in that space to have the to have the privileges that that comes with that identity, and then to see the material ways those privileges dissipate when you don a different outfit or a different hairstyle, and also to really hold space for 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 being a part of this tradition and 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 by this tradition i'm now talking about the tradition of uh, queer people exercising creative energy to explore gender and sexuality in interesting nuanced ways which has been long reviled uh in the greater culture and also long worshipped <laughs> you know the disparity between uh rupaul's drag race being such a smash success and the legislation that is sort of unraveling across the nation right now is, is, is a pretty good indicator of what I'm talking about with that. So I think, I think it's tough. I think it's a weird responsibility and I don't always know how to hold it because at the end of the day, you know, first and foremost, like I'm like, I am a non-binary person. I am queer, bisexual. Um, and I am Southern. Uh, I am somewhat of an autodidact uh neurodivergent so uh, a lot of uh, a lot of big interests in weird areas that don't always interest people and uh, i also have a, a lot of care for for uh trying to make an equitable world but first and foremost i'm kind of just a silly little being you know and so uh i i, I don't know i I, there's there's a responsibility that gets hoisted on you, you know, and and I'm uh, that's new for me. So I, I'm st I'm still examining that. I, I feel comfortable with the responsibility I've assigned myself by virtue of my birth, but the responsibility that others put on me, I don't know how to respond to that yet, and and I don't always know how to hold that. Specifically for the Grand Ole Opry performance, you performed for Judas and Middle of the Heart. How did you? Why did you decide to play those two songs specifically for that performance? Sure. I mean, I felt, you know, that's a great question because it ties in what we're talking about. Like, it really felt like a tightrope for me because I know there are people that want me to go into every room, uh, guns a-blazing, you know. There are a lot of negative connotations and really oppressive and violent ideologies that are tied in with this tradition. And so I think it makes sense to want to, to be really bold and come at those, you know. But... I mean, it's also a tradition that's given us a lot of hope, given a lot of voice to the working class and to marginalized people, you know? I mean, the only reason it seems weird that anybody but a white person does country music is not because it belongs to white people, it's because it's been so heavily policed for so long, you know, and, and, and protected. You know, there are these uh, gatekeepers that want to keep country music white because they fought hard to make it white against all practicality. And so I guess I guess the reason I picked those two songs was trying to make it clear that I was not going to walk into any room with kids' gloves on. You know, I, I wasn't going to make apologies about who I was. I didn't intend to go in there and be like, 
you know, I on the opera stage announced myself as a non-binary country musician. I dedicated four Judas to Marsha P. Johnson, who, uh, you know, was one, was one of the first ones to throw a brick at the Stonewall riots, of which uh, June uh, or, or yeah, June twenty eighth was the anniversary. You know, how could I not mention that? And uh, yeah, I think I think you know a big part of what I do or what I'm trying to do. I I don't know. I'm probably talking it up a lot, but. I think I really try to create some enclaves where people can feel, you know, like they're comfortable and because my, my art is not safe for anybody. And, and, and I'm, I'm pretty forward about that. I think I'm not a PC artist. I'm not like a woke artist. I'm not trying to figure out the best way to, uh, to phrase everything, to appeal to the largest demographic. I don't want to play stadiums, so that doesn't appeal to me. Like, I'm trying to create art that is meaningful to me and that, and that challenges and pushes on the right bruises to make real change happen, but doesn't do it in a way, or doesn't intend to do it in a way that, that creates, I don't know, I, 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 I don't want to trigger people's fight or flight. I want to trigger people's shock. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's okay to be made to feel uncomfortable, but I don't think it's necessarily constructive to make people feel like they have to defend themselves. And so I think a big part of, of, of what I do is trying to showcase like, like queer country as a genre, as an idea, doesn't necessitate the eclipsing of cis straight white guys singing about girls in booty shorts and big souped up trucks. You know what I mean? That, that they don't have to cancel each other out. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I think with white trash, it was really important to me that I say, yeah, there's this couple you know, that's like gay and one of them might be Jesus. <laughs> and sure, there's like, uh, there's leftists organizing and handing out, you know, mutual aid materials in the trailer park and talking about communism. And sure, there's this going on, but there's also, you know, the, 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 the guy that's complaining about the fact that the shape of this country is, is, is uh, changing in ways he doesn't understand or know how to keep up with. There's even kind of a, you know, baptizing all spirits kind of what I think as a kind of an archetypal country song dating back to the, the dawn of it. Like I'm torn between the tradition of spirituality that I'm a part of and my penchant for getting a little wild. That's kind of like the, the quintessential story of, of, of many artists, right? Right. Um, from Johnny Cash to Amy Winehouse. So I don't know. I, I think I think that was a big thing for me was trying to illustrate and, and, and in sets trying to illustrate like like my comedy is not for everybody. Like there are people that are not going to like my show no matter what I do. My songs are not for everybody. I mean I'm I'm making country music about kind of heavy themes juxtaposed against real abject jackassery. I mean some of the songs. That, I mean I sang a song about peeing on Jason Aldean on this last tour. No, he he pees on me in the song. <laughs> it is silly and lighthearted in my approach to talk about some heavy things. I really don't believe, you know, before I, before COVID, I used to make a living off of breweries. I would go play breweries and that was kind of just my job. And, uh, you know, I'd walk into a brewery and be like, uh, all right, how many of you guys are deplorables and how many are snowflakes by a show of hands? I want to see what I'm working with. Tonight. I firmly believe that this way of creating dialogue in a public way that, that feels not standoffish is the most constructive way to build bridges towards change. 
I could be wrong and maybe we have to tumble into civil war, but as a 35 year old with a good air conditioning unit, I, I'm going to try as hard as I can to stave that off. So I'm a punk rocker at heart. Yeah. And as much as I like artists and maybe even my own life, like kicking down doors, I do think there's something to subtlety. If you're talking about actual change, like you are getting a foot in the door is sometimes even better than kicking down a door, in my opinion, because I think sometimes you get more of a pushback. Would you agree with that or no? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, look, the reality is like, it feels good to punch a Nazi in the fucking face, right? Like if somebody says the N word in public, every, everything feels right to hit that person, to let them know that's not acceptable. But you know, like for better or worse, what we've seen with this stuff or what I've seen is that a lot of times that type of animosity and vitriol and violence does little more than push people further into these ideological enclaves. And so as good and right, just as it feels, it ends up doing more harm than good to the marginalized people that you're purporting to defend because you end up just kind of prepping these people to dig their heels in and see themselves further as the victim, which is ultimately all of it. You know, everybody thinks they're the victim in all this. With those kinds of situations, it almost draws a line in the sand a little bit more definitive. You know, I, I don't think that's what we're wanting. I, I don't think anybody really wants that, but it's often person chooses that way. I it's just, hard. I, I think what you did at the Aubrey was just brilliant and amazing. And uh, again, kudos to you. Applause for you. Great job. Thanks, friend. I appreciate you. It, it, it felt good. More I could have said, more I wanted to say. But I, I, I feel like, you know, I had somebody on Twitter who was uh, really upset about this drag show stuff, uh, who's dead set on it, who, you know, talking about how it was abusing children and grooming kids. And anyway, uh, they they had a lot to say about it. But uh, the conclusion, the concluding thought was some effect of like, I don't care what you do. I just want to protect children. And so I took this person at their word and just said, hey, I want to protect children, too. That's why I'm mad at you, because I feel like you're the danger. So if you feel like I'm the danger and I feel like you're the danger, but at the end of the day, we both want to help children. And that's truly our number one thing, then we're actually on the same side. And that's actually really important because if we can hang on to the fact that we both want to help children and we can have trust in that, then we can actually have dialogue on how to make the world a safer place for children. And that benefits all of us. But as long as, you know, these nefarious fucking goons with, uh, with silly TV shows keep going around, you know, riling people up in exchange for clicks and views, and that's just not going to go any further, you know? And this might be a heady question for a Saturday afternoon while you're doing dishes and watching the kid, but do you think people in general are inherently good? <laughs> no. I don't really believe in good, man. I mean, I think I think people are just what they are, you know? I, I, I think to ask if something is good or bad is a little bit of a boring analysis of it I, I i don't think people are inherently evil or bad at all i think people just they're people you know and I, and i and i think you know my kid thing my kid does things that i could assign a value to of being good or bad but ultimately like my kid is just behaving off of animal instincts most of the time right or the things that they're learning and so my kid does something sweet like ask if we need help with something my kid is is not being good my kid is recognizing that they live in a world with others and they want to provide 
care for the people around them so that it's a better experience for all of us. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I guess good and bad just feels like an oversimplification of something. And I think that most people who we would label bad are just people who have really not been given the proper skills um, or have very different expectations for how society should operate, you know, than we do. There's not really a, a good handbook for, for, for what American culture is and, and the way that there are other cultures, you know, like you go to certain countries and you have to make sure you don't shake with the wrong hand. I think American culture is like diverse in a really kind of radical way. And I think that people, you know, I mean, this is, this is an example of it of what I'm kind of getting at here is in the South, when I was growing up, I had to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am to everybody. And the people that I knew respected me as a kid did that to me too. You know what I mean? We're talking about older people who hold the door open for a nine-year-old boy and say, after you, sir, feels very uh, warm to me. Even though sir feels misgendering and I don't like it. It has this connection that's rooted in this culture. And so when I'm in public, it's easy for me to say, oh, what do you say, sir? Or how you doing, sir? How are you, ma'am? You know, and it's, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing because I know that to like Southern men, sometimes this means a lot. And sometimes people who look like Southern men, like myself, are actually non-binary people who it can, who it can hurt and, and, and cause to experience some sense of dysphoria over their public perception. And so... I have to kind of make this decision, like which which subculture that I'm a part of am I going to risk offending with this, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, I, you know, mostly I say friend now rather than, than gender the terms. And I, and I like that and, I'm, and, I, and I have no qualms with it. But I, I do feel like this is relevant in the greater picture because I think there are a lot of ways in which we define these types of social interactions in radically disparate ways and then accuse each other of lobbying. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I lived with a dude who grew up in the projects and uh, we got into it one night real bad. And, and, and I told him, you need to leave me alone. You can't be near me right now. And he bucked up to me like we were going to fight, you know, and we had a conversation about it. And I was like, hey, man, I never want to fight you. <laughs> like I am, I am not a good fighter. That's like I, I was not you know, expecting that what happened. And he said, well, you told me that I needed to get away from you. And I read that as a threat because like growing up in the projects, if people said you need to get away from me right now, they weren't saying like, I need emotional space to process <laughs> this interaction. But to him, anytime somebody said something like that, it meant like, if you come near me, I'm going to hit you. You know and, what I mean? Yeah. And do you think that's, you know, the cultural language that we sometimes aren't always aware of? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, I, so I, I, you know, I'm a leftist. I, I make no qualms about that. I don't, I, I'm not at a point in my life where I'm uh, booting people from my social circle for having, uh, you know, conservative beliefs or values like I was a few years ago. Uh, but I also, you know, if you can't respect my perspective, like I'm not going to want to talk to you. I don't know. I, I, what, what I'm trying to say is that 
sometimes I say things that I don't think are controversial at all because I run in pretty lefty circles. And then I find out real quick that they are very controversial. People <laughs> right. really don't like it, you know? <laughs> sure. And, and, I, and I try to explain to people, I didn't even know that one was controversial. I swear to God. I know I'm racy sometimes, but this one felt safe. Like on July 4th, I said something about like the history of like, gen- you know, heinous genocide that, that colonialism erupted into America, you know, the United States with to, to, to enact on the indigenous peoples here. And people got real mad about it. <laughs> it was like, I don't know, man. I thought we were all on the same page with like the history of shit. I, I... Right. You know, you kind of no, mentioned, I... you mentioned your, uh, you know, sense of humor and I, there's definitely a bit, seems like there's a bit of a tongue in cheek kind of thing with your lyrics and your songs. And I know you're influenced by like even comedians like Andy Kaufman and such. Can you tell us a yeah. little bit about that? Oh yeah. I mean, I grew up in, tra- I grew up in a, to, to people who had been really heavily impacted by trauma and who sort of perpetuated a lot of trauma without realizing it, you know? But I, I grew up, my dad is, uh, my dad has a, a real big sense of humor. And uh, that was kind of the way that he processed everything growing up and, and, and gave that to me. And as I started getting it, my dad is not a Kaufman fan at all. <laughs> that is the sort of uh, anti-comedy existential, like societal play stuff that i am uh really invested in and interested in it's not something that appealed to my dad but um i guess i i don't remember when i discovered kaufman but i i loved bob saget a lot i loved uh norm mcdonald's one of my favorite comedians oh same uh, sarah sarah silverman's probably might be my favorite living comedian and uh yeah i think just just getting into uh Comedy was something that was really interesting to me and always deconstructing the joke and trying to figure it out. I'm like a, a bit neurodivergent, so I, uh, I probably find things funny for different reasons. Like, I think You Should Leave is probably my favorite TV show because of the absolute absurdity and the, the caricaturistic ways that they demonstrate, like, the very childlike ways that we all respond to things. Right now, I'm currently on a downward spiral on the social media app threads where... Uh, I have been saying the most heinous and provocative, disgusting, abhorrent shit you can imagine. So we are excited to have you in town for the Cape G Rocks concert series, Historic Porch Sessions, the Glen House. Again, shout out Sean Wood and Christy Mershon for putting that together and bringing you into town. They can get all the information at adeemtheartist.com. And we can't wait for you to get in town. We look forward to it Wednesday, July 12th. Excellent. All right. I'll see you then. All right. Thank you. Down on 6th and Lowry, outside a cafe when the moonlight fell. It cast itself down, pouring out on a city. What a pity when something so beautiful wastes itself. I took a pull from my wood pipe as the taxi cabs drove by. Full of college-age women in drag Yeah, they're all wearing costumes And they all look like children And they're blowing us kisses as they pass I wondered what in the hell In this world could compel Any creature to smile on a pair like we were He had short, neat curls That were shadow black And I was fumbling around with the weather at 
Perfect.